Got a brand new guest for you today, Duck fans. Mike Black of Ducks and Dogs. Not the last time we will have him on the show. We talk all things Oregon football, recruiting, the transfer portal, and a smidgen of Oregon basketball as well. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you for making this your first listen every day. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay updated with the Ducks every single day. Please like and subscribe if you have not already. If you want to leave a nice comment, that always makes my day. Five-star review. We love to see that. Helps with the show. Let's not waste any more time. Tons of fun getting to know a guy that I was meeting for the first time, and he will be back on the show in future episodes. Brought the heat. We'll bring it in future pods as well. Mike Black of Ducks and Dogs. Let's go. Joined now on the pod by one Mike Black, co-host of the Ducks and Dogs podcast to give us another perspective on the Oregon football program and such. Mike, good to meet you, my man, and great to have you here on the show. Likewise, are you ready for the comments of why did you have Mike on the show? <laughs> I am I am 100% prepared. And if you want to leave a comment about whether or not to have Mike back on the show, feel free to do so below as you like and subscribe wherever you listen <laughs> to the show on uh, on podcasts. But, you know, right right off the top, Mike, you uh, you do a show about the Ducks and the Dogs as in the Washington Huskies. So you you co-host a show like you willingly work with someone who is a Husky, is that, you know, an emotionally trying thing for you to do? I love Matt, man. Matt is great. I love, <laughs> Matt is hilarious. He's, he, he, so he, when we first started the show, Matt was super quiet. Like he did not get involved in the Twitter stuff. He like, he was on Twitter. He was FQ Washington at the time. Did not get involved in like the Twitter debates and stuff like that. Uh, did not like, you know, talk a bunch of junk or anything. Did not do any of that, but now he's slowly getting into the point of it. He made a tweet on uh, on the Ducks and Dogs Twitter account saying congratulations to Oregon legend Cooper Cup and Washington legend Aaron Donald <laughs> for their Super Bowl championship, and it was it was a great tweet. I loved it. <laughs> that's fantastic. Hey, Junior Adams, man, that's our wide receiver coach now, and I mean, I I see no reason why we can't partake in that Super Bowl, you know, indirectly through a guy who hasn't <laughs> coached a game for the Ducks for a player that he coached back in the day at a different school. And uh, yeah, I'll stop now anyway, but uh, let, let's get into the the meat of today's episode. You have been following the ducks for a long time, fan of the ducks for a long time. So just right off the top going into 2022, how do you feel about the state of Oregon football, kind of where it's at and, and where it's going with our new coaching staff? I think, Long-term, it's going well with the staff. I think this upcoming season might not be as great as some would expect it. I've seen people be like, oh, yeah, we're going to be winning games by 40 points or 30 points, and I'm not going to go there uh, (laughs) at all. (laughs) I actually think this will be a a decent season similar to – what year could I compare it to? I guess I would compare it to 2018 except for better than 2018, obviously a little bit better than 2018, but more like that, like, you know, positive signs. You could see what's coming up with a lot of this young talent. Cause this team, we lose a majority of all the production at wide receiver. We're replacing a quarterback. We do return most of the line. We're replacing 
the majority of our DB room. So there's, there's a lot to replace and there's going to be some hiccups along the way. And we're already known to have hiccups against a team. We shouldn't lose to almost every year. It's an annual tradition of Oregon sports in general. I think it is an unfortunate reality of just being a sports fan. The more and more I consume all sorts of sports with different teams is there's just so many moments where you go, man, how did we lose to that team? I mean, I hate to hit the nail on the head for some Oregon fans here, but this past season, how did we lose to that Stanford team? Why was that game even close? That was not a good football team, but that's just kind of the way that it goes sometimes. And I was going to touch on this later, but you kind of brought it up. The biggest question mark to me looking at the roster come 2022 is the quarterback battle. And I I can't wait for April 23rd, man. The spring game with Bo Nix and Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield. I know Robbie Ashford left, but you had to figure that at least one of them was going to go. We should see all three of those guys. And it's kind of the consensus it's going to be between Bo Nix and, and Ty Thompson. I think the quarterback battle is the most compelling part from an unknown standpoint coming into this year. Will he be, will Bo be back for the spring game? I thought he was going to miss most of the spring practices. My understanding is that he was recovering well from his injury. And I haven't looked recently to see if he's planning to play in the spring game, but even if he doesn't, you know, he's the known commodity of of sorts at the quarterback position. And, you know, if he's not able to play because he's coming off of the, the foot or ankle injury, he broke his foot or ankle this past year. But, you know, I've heard from Auburn people that he's doing fine. He's expected to make a full recovery and be good to go, which is important because his running ability is a big part of what he does. But if it's just Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield, you know, I think Oregon fans are going to be very intrigued to watch those two guys as well. Yeah, so this is going to be the part where they comment, why did you have Mike on the show? Because (laughs) I am not of the mindset there will be a true competition, but that's not because of this staff. That's because it's how football works in general in the modern age. Uh, A kid with previous five-star talent, he was rated as a five-star with other options, is not going 3,000 miles away to sit the bench. Maybe I'm wrong, but it hasn't happened many times before. Utah, to start the year, started their transfer, who was not the better player. Uh, Miami started their transfer was not the better player. Oregon started their transfer yet to be seen if he was better than the guys behind him. Uh, There's a lot of the time you're going to see the starter or the transfer play. There's a reason they're going there. The school's not looking to just give a guy a scholarship to give him a scholarship. And he's not going to a school just to go to class. Yeah. And I think that Bo Nix certainly has the expectation that he We'll start. And Dan Lanning has been very open about, you know, this is going to be a, a competition and it's not just uh, Bo Nix and, and then everybody else. And that could certainly be some coach speak. I, I don't disagree with that at all. But on the flip side, Bo Nix does have to show that he's still capable of being the starter, right? I don't think he can just walk into it because Oregon, even Oregon is a team that you could have thrown into that mix with Dakota Prukop in 2016 in that dreadful four and eight football season. People forget Prukop started the year. Oregon was in the top 25 and then had the loss to Nebraska. And then I think it was a, a home loss to Colorado, maybe that sort of, you know, set him apart as a guy who you, who you didn't really feel like you had to start anymore and he certainly wasn't as highly rated a prospect 
as Bo Nix is coming in just from a, a talent standpoint, arm strength and mobility and experience and stuff like that. But then midway through the year, Oregon made the switch and put in Justin Herbert. That worked out all right. Do you think that, you know, if your expectation is that Bo Nix will be the starter, is it possible that if he starts underperforming after a few games, do you think they'd be willing to make the switch to Ty Thompson or maybe even Jay Butterfield if he jumps up the depth chart? Now, I will say this. I do believe this staff is much more willing to make the switch. I do think Bo is almost free money to be the starter, but I do think they would be more willing to make the switch if he did struggle. At the, the last staff, obviously, we saw uh, through the first few games, speaking of Dakota Prukup, Dakota Prukup had better numbers than the quarterback play we saw last year through the first few games. Through a lot of the games, Dakota Prukup, if you go by averages or by you know, what the, what the totals were through that many games, Dakota Prukup's numbers were slightly better. He wasn't a disaster. He was no, no, no. He just couldn't make up for the lack of the talent around him. And he was a one-year rental. It wasn't worth, you know, not developing the quarterback behind him and Justin Herbert when, you know, it's okay. This season isn't going too far and, you know, he's not going to be here next year. We need to start planning on the future. So yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't, absolutely abysmal we have seen absolutely abysmal but he he wasn't completely abysmal he wasn't a power five top tier you know what we expect at Oregon but we haven't gotten what we've expected at Oregon for a few years now so (laughs) it's been uh there have been some highs and lows I have one more thought on, on this quarterback debate but first Football might be over for the season, Duck fans, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. You talk about electric futures bets right there. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, so one more thing that I wanted to, to add to this ensuing potential quarterback debate, we'll say, is do you think that Oregon should have gone this past year with, you know, the, the ups and downs that Anthony Brown had, and he still won 10 games, but we all, we were all there as duck fans there. There was a pretty defined ceiling with him at the quarterback position. Do you think that with the success Oregon had this year versus the lack of success they were having in 2016, do you think that made it more difficult for the staff to look at it and go, okay, maybe we should put in Ty Thompson and start to develop him as Helfrich and company did in, in 2016 with, with Herbert. It definitely makes it harder, but I, I do believe there were promises made that unless a season was absolutely putrid like 2016, that he wasn't going to get, if we were winning, if we were looking like we we're going to win eight games, I don't think he would have gotten switched out. Uh, do I think he should have? Yes. Do I think he, sh- do I think one of the younger guys should have started week one? Yes. Uh, I, you know, I was never the hugest fan of the move when we added him. AB was solid at Boston College. He was also coming off a major injury and was leaving because he was not going to be the starter the next year. Uh, Phil, the quarterback they have now, is great. Nothing on him. He's really, really good. He'll probably be playing on Sundays. But yeah, I think it'll make it uh, a little more difficult if you're having some success in the win and loss column. It's obviously, you know, it's not it's not easy for San Francisco to bench Jimmy Garoppolo when he was winning a bunch of games. 
or it's not easy for any team to bench a guy when he's winning games. Even if they don't look great, you don't want to mess up the momentum. Once you have momentum, that is a huge thing. You could tell that just by watching the Oregon TCU Alamo Bowl. Yeah, that was, uh, boy, you had to bring that one up. I think that's the day that we all as, <laughs> as Duck fans are just collectively trying to forget. But I want to switch to a topic on a recent episode of your show. It's the Ducks and Dogs podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Mike, but I believe that that is anyway. uh, the case. You you and your co-hosts were talking about the, the 2018 win against Washington. You know, what was, you know, you're going back and forth. What was your favorite win against the other team that you're actually alive to see? I, I presume you are too young to have been there for the pick, as was I, but I would probably put that 2018 game right at the top of the list. And you guys touched on something that I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on for the Locked On Ducks listeners, which is that was such a pinnacle moment for the rebuild of the Oregon football program under Mario Cristobal and company, because Kayvon Thibodeau was at that game. And uh, as you guys said, and that he, you know, maybe my, was, was swayed by seeing the fans rush the field, that environment, that win over a top 10 team in Washington at the time. Do you think that Oregon football would be in the same spot it is today, which I think overall is a good place to be. Do you think we would have had the success over the last couple of years we've had without that singular win? I think we would have had success, but I think it could have been diminished. You might not have gotten a cave on Thibodeau. You might not have even built the momentum on the rivalry. Maybe Chris Peterson decides to stay at Washington. Maybe a lot of different things happened. I think, like I said on the show, I believe that was one of the most pivotal games in the rivalry, almost as much as the pick would have been because, you know, if Washington wins that game easily and it's like, okay, Washington's got a hold of this rivalry again. It looks like that that would have been what three in a row. Yep. Like, okay, Washington's got a hold again. You know, can Oregon do anything to combat it? But no, Oregon was able to win. Mario Cristobal was able to get that big rivalry win. CJ Verdell was able to make that play, and it set up a lot. And landing Kayvon Thibodeau set up a lot. So if you don't land Kayvon Thibodeau, that could not obviously we wouldn't have been terrible or anything, but that would have changed the trajectory of the program. You wouldn't have had him going in the top of the draft that affects recruiting. You wouldn't have had his NFT deal that affects recruiting. You wouldn't have gotten all his other NIL deals that affects recruiting. So there's, there's a lot you miss out on. And maybe, maybe you don't land a Justin flow or somebody who was on the fence about joining the team without a cave on Thibodeau. There's a lot of factors that play into that. And that game could have led to a domino effect of things that set Oregon up. Well, yeah, I agree. And just looking at Thibodeau's on-field impact, over this past season. I mean, I th- I can confidently say without Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon is not a 10-win team. It's it's nine wins max this past year, but honestly might even be down to eight. They do not win the uh, the seven. Cal game, I don't think, if he doesn't come back in the second half. I, I think Oregon would have found a way to lose. He was single-handedly wrecking the game. He's that kind of player. You don't beat Fresno State without Kayvon Thibodeau. <laughs> yeah, it's very possible. He took over at the end of that game as well. You look at the Rose Bowl, the, the Pac-12 championship game against Utah. He had a huge, huge impact because he really did the same thing at the end of that game against the Utes. Remember, they made a run when the game was uh, in Santa Clara. I was there in 2019, and he took over late. He was just destroying the the offensive line, and we saw then you know what we know now, which is he's a very, very high-end caliber, caliber pick. Uh, real quick, is that 2018 game against Washington, is that your favorite game against the Huskies of all time? Hmm. That you've seen, that you've seen. That I've seen. I'm not sure, because, you know, we did kick their butt a few times when I first started watching. 
Um, hmm. I think it's one of them. I don't know if it's number one. I can't remember what I said on our show, but I believe one of the ones in the either late 2000s, early 2010s was number one for me. And I think 2018 was second. Gotcha. I can't remember which game it was exactly. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of good ones. That one, I think, felt most the most impactful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in terms of just overall satisfaction, you know, the, the game where uh, Masoli was up there and running wild for a couple touchdowns and Michael James was good in that. I mean, what game was Michael James not good in, really? Let the, like, let's yeah. be real. Not, to, not a whole State. lot of them. But there, there were definitely some other maybe the one where Oregon was number one for the very first time struggled early at Autzen and then ended up coming back in 2010 in that undefeated regular season to just run them off the field that was pretty fun because you know you're the number one for the first time in school history and then it's it, you know it had to be that team right it had to be Washington not you know a, a Stanford or a Cal or a Washington State it was the Huskies and that one certainly felt good I'd probably put 2018 at the top of the list not just because I was in uh, London at the time watching the game at O Dark 30 and just screaming in my hotel room. And I, I still can't believe I didn't get a noise complaint. I was going ab- absolutely berserk. But anyway, back to the Ducks in, uh, in 2022. How do you think Oregon fans should view the transfer portal? Because this has been such a hot topic of discussion because they now allow the one-time freebie and the number of players. Like the portal's been there for a long time. I think people that can get lost in the shuffle with, with people sometimes because they'll kind of be like, Oh yeah, the transfer portal, it's this new thing. Well, no, it's not new. It's just, we see a higher volume of players in it. And I think sometimes there can be a little bit of aversion for duck fans to players coming by way of the transfer portal, to which I would say Joe Burrow was a transfer to LSU. And I don't think that Tigers fans really care because he won them a national championship. And as long as a guy has an impact, I don't care if he's a recruit or comes via the transfer portal. Cause at the end of the day, I as a duck fan am looking for wins. Those are my views on it. What do you think about the portal and how Oregon should approach it and how fans should feel about it? Yeah. I mean, you look at Michigan state, they had a lot of success hitting the portal. Alabama is hitting the portal hard this off season. Georgia is hitting the portal this offseason. A lot of these good teams are hitting the portal this offseason. We're competing with good teams for guys still in the portal. Like it's, it's obvious you need to utilize the portal. I do think we have done some questionable things within that portal, mainly at the position we were talking about earlier. But that is besides the point on that one because you don't want to beat a dead horse. But yeah, you have to use it. There's You can't just ignore it. If you want to be a team who just ignores it, you probably won't be good in this new era of football or you'll be limited as to how good you can be because you do have guys like Henry Toto who becomes available. You potentially have guys who leave a school because their coaches leave. Like, you know, you, you never know who's going to leave. Some people thought ZTF was going to enter the transfer portal this year from Washington. That would have been a impactful player in the Pac-12 North. That would have been a player a lot of Pac-12 teams would have wanted just for the sense of keeping them away from other teams in the Pac-12 North. So there's, you have to use it. You can't just ignore it. How they should use it, I'm not sure yet. You obviously, you know, there's, it's still early in being able to use it you know, where they are, are able to play right away. Like this guy can come in right now. So it completely changes the game. You know, you have before it was transfer. Okay. They got to sit out a year. So you have to think it, it completely changes your thinking and how you have to use it, how Oregon will use it or how they should use it. I do not know. I wish I could tell you. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I mean, they've added five players in this class from the transfer portal 
for the class of 2022. Bo Nix, of course, among them, we've talked about him, but the other guys, you know, the, the Sam Taimani's and the Christian Gonzalez's mm-hmm. uh, of the world, or, or Jordan Riley from Nebraska, even Andrew Boyle, a kicker from Washington State, which, you know, seemed a little bit peculiar at the time, but I think there might be some reasoning there. Listen to yesterday's episode of Locked On Ducks to hear my full thoughts on that. But what do you think uh, of the guys that they've brought in so far and the impact that they could have on the Ducks this fall? The the kicker they brought on to do kickoffs, pretty much. Uh, that's that's yeah. where Lewis has struggled. We saw struggles with that last year, obviously. Now, do I believe we should have two scholarship kickers? Maybe not, because one's gonna. They're both gonna be playing a. Di- that's a really weird scenario that doesn't happen a whole lot. It it could work out in their favor. Obviously, that costed us. It's cost us multiple times when the ball got kicked on the kickoff and it went out of bounds. You know, you lost yards there. Uh, I've already I've voiced my opinion many times that I'm not a fan of the Bo Nix transfer. Although I do think we should have taken a transfer quarterback. I just don't think it should have been that one. But I like a lot of the rest of the stuff we've added. Uh, Taki is really good. He's a solid add. And so was the uh, kid from Nebraska. He's also a really good D lineman. He comes with our coach. He knows knows the way that this defensive line coach is going to want them to play. And maybe he can help these guys figure out how they're going to play. Yeah, I think Riley is interesting. You know, it's going to be his sixth year of college football because he redshirted and then got the the free year. So he'll be a, a sixth year college football player. So at the very least, and he's a big guy too. I think he's, you know, six five, six six, over 300 pounds. So at the very least, you know, just being able to have bodies to interchange there on the defensive line, I think is going to be helpful. I, I get what you're saying about the kickers being weird. It's maybe not ideal. It's in abnormal. A per- in a perfect world. Yeah, it's abnormal, but some guys have abnormal golf swings. And as long as it gets you the end result, that's kind of all the, all that you're going for. And the kickoffs have been a problem for, for a while. And I think the staff has seen that and they know that And Camden Lewis capable to field goals, Tom Snead capable as a punter. But if you can't kick the ball or you, if you can't not kick the ball out of bounds, one out of every three times, that's costing your defense a lot of field position. So I, I see why they they went in that in that particular route. But all those transfers, I think I think Gonzalez has got the chance to be the biggest impact aside from Bo Nix, assuming he does become the the starting quarterback. But just just because you know four star recruit, four star transfer got experience Pac-12 honorable mention corner at a position of need he seems like a guy who will be able to have a good chance to step in start right away and make a a decent impact as well but the guys in the class of 2022 who are not transfers and are just uh what is it old-fashioned recruits is that is that the era that that we're in now Mike where this is the old-fashioned way of doing it going and finding guys in high school the Ducks managed to scrape together a top 25 recruiting class it had fallen all the way down towards 60th in the country, but they got some big additions. Jalil Florence, Jordan James, you know, just a, a bunch of guys who I've talked about here on the show. What did you make of this staff coming in on short notice, turning guys around and, and getting them to come to Oregon or getting them to come back to Oregon in the instance of somebody like Jalil Florence? Yeah, I am. I'm glad that they were able to pull in a solid class and they didn't just take guys to take them. They did, you know, that's going to happen with a couple of people. There's going to be a couple of guys, you know, you take to take because you need to fill spots. You know, you, you need a player this position. You missed on some of the guys you might have wanted. So you got to take what you can salvage from the class, especially with the coaching change that Oregon had. And that alone, the recruiting class and the scholarship numbers is the reason I 
feel the kicker transfer is weird because we were so low on scholarships available and we had a bunch of positions where we needed to add that that otherwise it would have been cool solid ad understand why we need it but there's other positions i felt could have used that more but we were able to keep both of the jaleels they're both really solid kamari terrell's really solid landing a three-star uh preferred walk-on running back was good and elijah rushing's brother so that yes. could help with stuff there yes. uh, anthony jones is a really solid athlete uh glad we were able to get him we were able to pretty much lock down liberty high school which could be a positive thing for future recruiting classes as well. Mm-hmm. Dave Uli is one of the more impactful ones because of how long it's been since Oregon landed a player of that caliber in Washington. Uh, it, it was a really solid class they pulled together, especially considering it was last minute and the odds of keeping a lot of them didn't seem great considering what I believe and many to believe who aren't uh, salty you lost one of the best recruiters in college football and he went to another team and wanted a lot of the guys you were recruiting. So the fact you were able to keep at least a few of them is really solid and really positive, especially guys like Dave Uli. Yeah. When I was looking at guys like uh, Uli and, and Trajan Williams coming from Jefferson, always want to get the hometown talent anytime that, that you can. I think that's a, a, a sign of being a, a quality program when the guys who are you know already in state are, are saying, yeah, I want to go to school here and stay home and not travel far because this is a you know an elite program that I want to go play for. But you know, and Jaleel Florence, Jordan James, another guy who they end up flipping from Georgia. I looked at those four or five guys and said, if they can get you know two or three, I'll feel really good. And then they came in and got basically all of them. You know, like there weren't really that many surprise flips you know there was a one video of, of a recruit who you know had uh, had some Oregon stuff on and then took it off to show he was going to LSU but then I read up on it and he was never really on Oregon's radar in a major way so it was kind of it, it was kind of weird but regardless I, I felt really good about how they closed this recruiting cycle and you know I think Ely was kind of the the cherry on top and I think he'll be uh, a more than capable offensive lineman growing into the system with the new staff. But that was the one guy where I was saying, man, that's an offensive lineman. That's what Cristobal and Alex Mirabal now down at Miami. Those are the guys that they go after. And the fact that we were still able to get him to come to Oregon, I think is, is really telling about, about where Oregon's program is at. Exactly. I, I completely agree. They were able to, but it, it shows a lot of the prowess that these guys have in recruiting. Uh, you brought in some really good recruiters. Yes. As much as, you know, this may be controversial. There's a reason that Tosh Lupoy is barred from the SEC, and it is because he is very good at recruiting in NIL fashion. Uh, same with same with the offensive line coach, Adrian Klum. So there's, there's a bunch of guys on this thing who are known for recruiting, and I was glad that we were able to pull in a good class, and that is a credit to a lot of these guys. And it's got me really excited for what this 2023 class can be. There's, I would say we probably land four or five, five stars next year. We have a chance at maybe six ish, but obviously we're not going to land all of them, Right. but I could very easily see four of them coming in. And that would be a record for Oregon. Yeah. I think when you look at the staff getting back to, you know, top 10 recruiting classes that Cristobal and company were bringing in for, for consecutive seasons. I think that is a realistic expectation for Oregon fans. Do you agree? I think that should be the expectation. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think so. Just with should the, probably recruit better. Than the yeah, with, with the way this staff has been put together and what these guys are known for and where Oregon currently stands as a football program, I think that's 100% the case. Uh, last thing here with 
Mike Black of Locked on Ducks, or excuse me, this is Locked <laughs> on Ducks. His show is Ducks and Dogs. Cross my shows up there just for uh, just for a moment, but I caught it. We're still uh, we're still awake here as we record this a little bit a uh, little bit later at night, but a little bit of uh, of basketball talk here. I'm sure you've been following Oregon men's basketball at least uh, loosely as we record this. The women just took care of business with uh, UCLA. Got a nice bounce back home win after a couple of, uh, of tough losses down in the desert and another one to Oregon state. But the men are just on perennial mm-hmm. bubble watch for the final six games. They're, they're and my, so my stress level is going to be so high in the coming weeks. Cause I love March madness more than any other sporting event on planet earth. And I'm a diehard golf fan that includes the masters. Like March madness is number one. And I just want Oregon to be, a part of it because it is so great and anything could happen. And Mike, we are going to be sweating every game in the coming weeks. And with the way Oregon basketball has been playing the last couple of weeks and, you know, really over the second half of the season, I don't think they're going to give us very many blowout victories. I think it's going to be nail biter after nail biter. Yeah. It, this team has been one of the more confusing ones in the, uh, Dana Altman era, which is saying a lot because we've had a few confusing teams. For instance, when we had Bull Bull, I expected, you know, final forward. We're going to be great. Let's go. Bull Bull's hurt. You know, we're missing this guy. This guy has been a lot of confusing teams. Dana Altman normally squeaks it out in the end. It looked like this was going to be the best case of that yet. And then we play Cal, one of the worst teams in the conference, and we lay an egg. We're really dependent on our two best scorers, which are going to be young and it's going to be Richardson when they're when one or both of them are off, it's going to be really hard to win a game. Richardson still played solid. Young was off against Cal. We lost that game. You know, a lot of the games that we lost, either Richardson was missing his three point shots or young wasn't able to score as much as we would like him to. And if Richardson's missing shots, we don't have a guy who could pick up as that next shooter. We have guys capable of making the shots, but I wouldn't call any of them shooters. They're not three-point shooters. I I think Davion Harmon is kind of streaky, but really most effective in the mid-range and when he's slashing Mm -hmm. to the basket. And Garrier, same sort of thing. I mean, if Quincy Garrier and Will Richardson are hitting their three-pointers, Oregon is tough to beat. But the number of times where both of them have been synced up, knocking down their outside shots, they've been, unfortunately, kind of few and far between this year. So Oregon has to find a way to pick up the slack when, when one of those guys is not hitting outside shots. Cause if the big men can have an impact, then you need one of Whit- Richardson and Gary, I think to be like really on their game offensively. Cause I think Harmon and young, you know, their ceilings are not quite as high as a guy like Will Richardson. And they're going to be a little bit more consistent though. They can have, you know, some really hot games where they'll carry you. Harmon had a 21 point game recently and Jacob young has had some explosive outings this year. But they've got to be able to find a way to score points and not allow another 24 to nothing run against a team that had lost 10 of its previous 11 games, which just sounds wrong to say out loud. This is something I was concerned about regarding losing Jalen Terry. Jalen Terry was a promising scorer, really good guard. He would have been someone who could have played alongside Richardson and been really solid. They would have fit together. It's just hard. You're going to need a little more from your bigs, but those aren't the type of bigs you have. And Fale Dante's an enforcer type big. He's not out there to go score 20 points or 15 or 18 points a game. He's out there to play a enforcer role, get rebounds, play defense, block shots. That's what he is out there to do. do. Will we need a little bit more from him going into March? If we make it into the tournament, 
Yes. Can we get it? Yes. He has a talent. We can get it. Yep. It's just, is that going to sacrifice in other areas that he's been really solid for Oregon on? And is that worth it? There's, there's just so many question marks as to how they're going to put it together. But they can, they have the tools to put it together. It's just a lot of these pieces don't fit what we typically see out of Dan Altman teams. Normally Dan Altman teams create a lot of three point looks. So you want a lot of th- like guys who are capable of landing, you know, three, four, five, three pointers in a game. We have maybe two guys who can do that this year. Yeah. We have other guys who can hit the shots, but we have two guys who can hit consistently. And even then, I don't know if I would use the word consistently, but I think this team is really solid. I've loved what we've seen from the team, especially when you have guys like Dior Johnson and Kelly Ware coming in. There's a lot of promise for this team, but I do think I made a prediction on the Ducks and Dogs podcast. Hit me. And it is going to be the most Oregon thing of all time. I have us losing to Arizona State and then beating Arizona. That would be so painfully on brand (laughs) what we have seen from this team this season. It would be right on cue. And you know what? This is that out of the realm of possibility. That's just so right as you said it. I just thought, man, we so would just just to make everything more complicated. If that if that plays out, you can come back and host an entire episode of the show and kick me out for a day. That'll be that'll be a god tier god tier prediction. Mike Black, he hosts Ducks and Dogs. Hit him up wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the first time we had him on the show, and Mike, I hope it's not the last, man. A lot of fun. Likewise. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, that was indeed a lot of fun. Appreciate Mike coming on the show. I appreciate all of you listening. We ran a little long today, but time flies when you're having fun. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.